really excited to be preaching on Easter. You know, a, a pastor getting to preach on Easter is like a quarterback getting to start the Super Bowl. You know, it's like the, it's like a point guard getting to start the, the, the finals. And so really excited about that. And what I wanna talk about today for the time we have together is relationship goals, relationship goals. According to Urban uh, Dictionary, a relationship goal is any picture of a couple that makes a teenage girl envious, all right? And so I gotta be honest, I didn't really know a lot about relationship goals until recently. Um, I, I follow on Twitter a few of the teenagers here in the church and they are my only connection to anything relevant as far as being cool or trendy or knowing the lingo. Every now and then I'll just have to reply to one of their tweets and be like, what does that stand for? What does that mean? I don't know. And, uh, and so periodically I would see some of the girls in the youth group uh, post, you know, tweets. Some of you guys like, what's the Twitter? What is the Twitter thing? Don't worry, I ain't got time to explain it. Don't worry about it. Anyway, so um, they would post these pictures with like hashtag relationship goals, hashtag relationship goals. And I started seeing some of these on, on Facebook. And so the gist of it is it's, it's any picture that like makes you go like, oh man, I, I want that. You know, I want that one day. And there's some really good ones out there. I actually brought a couple with me today. I want you to look at these because it's going to be fun. But um, any, just these pictures that say relationship goals. This is great. Uh, if lost, return to Jan. I am Jan. I got to be honest, I'm only 32, but I feel like I'd like one of those right now. Like I'd like one of those shirts um, because somehow I always get separated from the group. I don't know how that happens, but uh, hashtag relationship goals. Let's look at the next one. Come on, Corey Topanga. How many, remember, how many remember TGIF? Let me see your hand. Some of y'all have no idea what we're talking about. Don't worry about it. It's just me and Topanga. Don't, don't worry about that. Everybody wanted to be Corey and Topanga. I mean, it was, I mean, TGIF viewing parties, that was way before The Walking Dead and all that stuff, where you got together. Everybody got together for TGIF. And uh, so that was, that was awesome. All right, let's look at the next one. That's incredible. <laughs> I still, as a grown man, like to ride the grocery cart, but um, if we can keep it going strong at that age, that is definitely hashtag relationship goals. Let's see the next one. Yeah. Come on. Justin and Brittany matching denim. Who does not want a relationship with matching denim? Come on, where do you even get that hat, honestly? But if JT wears it, it's cool. Uh, this is my favorite. Let's look at the last one. You probably saw this. Wife steals cop car with husband cuffed inside. That is love right there. That is love. Hashtag relationship goals. Uh, that is pretty incredible. I wanna talk about relationship goals today because that's what Easter's all about. We're not talking about marriage. We're not talking about dating. We're, we're talking about relationship, which is what Easter's all about. And the reason that we get so excited about celebrating Easter is because when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the grave, he gave us the opportunity to have a relationship with him. It's all about relationship. And up until that point, up until the cross and the grave, that you could believe in God, like all the Old Testament, all this part of the Bible, pretty much, like you could believe in God, 
And you could even be a good person and things like that, but there were only a few people who really had relationship with God because Adam and Eve sinned and it messed up the relationship. It put a gap, a distance between man and God. And there were only a few people in the Old Testament who really had that, that personal relationship with God. But, but John three sixteen, God loved us. He loved you so much. He sent his son. And when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for you and I to have, to have a relationship. So God is not just some higher power. He's not just some spiritual being. He is our heavenly father. And if you want a relationship with him, you can have one. No ifs, ands, or buts, no strings attached, no gimmicks. If you want a relationship with God, you can have one. And there's a verse of scripture in Exodus chapter 33. Uh, it's kind of a, a life verse for me. I've got a few verses that I've written down and have in different places to just constantly read and be reminded. But Exodus 33 verse 11 says, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face as one speaks to a friend. Wow. God would speak to Moses face-to-face like one speaks to a friend. Hashtag relationship goal, okay? Because that, that, that's incredible. Can you imagine feeling that way about your relationship with God? Or even better, can you imagine God feeling that way about you? that you have this face, I don't know how often you, you talk face to face anymore. Maybe it's like friends, like an ongoing text message or I don't know what it is, but like, but it's this, it's this friendship, this genuine, close, intimate friendship that, that Moses and God have. You know, and it'd be easy to think that, you know, I read that and you think, well, Jason, I mean, that's Moses. You know, I mean, Moses is pretty incredible. I, I'm not Moses. I, I, I don't, I can't know God the way that Moses knew God. And Moses did do some pretty incredible things, but this verse about Moses talking to God like a friend face to face was towards the end of his life. It was after he murdered someone. It was after he buried the body. It was after he ran as a fugitive and wasted 40 years of his life on the run. Like Moses had a past and a history and a record and hangups and issues like, Moses is not that different from you and me. He, he had his issues too, but it didn't keep him from having a relationship with God face-to-face like you would have a relationship with a friend. Now, I would be willing to bet that if I asked you today to describe your relationship with God in one word, just give me one word to describe your relationship with God, most of us in the room would probably not say friendship. Most of us in the room would probably not describe our relationship with God with the word friendship. Some, some of you would maybe say, uh, you would use the word distant. I believe, I, uh, I'm a religious person, but I definitely feel like my relationship with God is, is a distant one. Some of you would say non-existent. I don't have a relationship with God. Don't even know if I want a relationship with God. It, it's a non-existent thing. Some of you would say disappointing. It's never really lived up to the hype. It's, it's uh, I've been let down. Things haven't happened the way that I thought they would. Maybe you would use the word cruel. Prayers weren't answered. Things happened. Uh, life keeps going wrong. Everything that could go wrong goes wrong. Maybe that's how you would describe your relationship with God. Maybe you would use the word boring. Church is boring. Prayer is boring. The Bible's boring. Christians are boring. A relationship with God is, is boring. 
And we would use all these different words because it's really easy to make a relationship with God about so many other things besides relationship. Well-meaning people have tried to make it about our behavior or tried to make it about our appearance, but it was never meant to be anything more than relationship. And there is a way to know God that feels like friendship. There's a way to know God that feels more like mentorship than a dictatorship. But you're never gonna find it through religion. You're never gonna find it through more lists of do's and don'ts and and more red tape. You're never gonna find it. You find it through honest communication with God. See, something happened when Adam and Eve ate that apple. There was a communication breakdown and the friendship got lost. I wanna show you Genesis chapter three. If you have a Bible, you can find it in Genesis 3, eight. If not, it's gonna be up on the, on the screen. But this is what it says. This is after Adam and Eve had eaten the apple. It says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied. And Adam said, I heard you walking in the garden. So I hid, I was afraid because I was naked. Notice what it says God was doing. That God was in the flesh, like showing up in person and just taking a walk, just strolling through the garden. And we're supposed to read this and assume that this was a normal occurrence. That about four or five o'clock, God would just show up and him and Adam would hang out and, and walk together and talk together and catch up on what Adam had named the animals that day and what God had been up to, that there was this real friendship and and relationship between God and Adam. But on this day, because Adam and Eve had sinned, God showed up to do what they had been doing, to to spend time together, to communicate, to have friendship. And the Bible says that Adam and Eve were hiding. They were hiding. They were ashamed. They were embarrassed. They were afraid. and, and, And they were hiding. And how many of us have done this? We're so convinced that God is ashamed of us because we're ashamed of ourselves. We're so convinced that God is mad at us because we're mad at ourselves. We're, we're so convinced that God wants to punish us because we wanna punish ourselves. And so we think instead of running to God and engaging in a relationship and a conversation with him, we run and hide. We run and hide and we try to stay, stay away from him out of fear or embarrassment. We avoid church, we avoid church people. We stay away and try to hide from God as best as we can. And over the last 12 years, pastoring and counseling people and talking to people, and even in my own life, I've seen really three main things keep people from having a relationship with God. And there's more than three, but these are the three big ones that have kept people in my experience, and even myself, from having a relationship with God like Moses, a friendship, a face-to-face relationship. And so today on Easter Sunday, what better day to talk about these three barriers, these three hurdles that keep us from a relationship with God. So I'm gonna give you three statements and I really believe that, that you can relate to, to, to at least one of these. So here's the first statement, first barrier for having that relationship with God. Number one, being bad, air quotes here, bad, being bad doesn't keep you from a relationship with God. Being bad doesn't keep you from a relationship with God. If you've never read the Bible, you may think that the characters in the Bible are these heroic, angelic, perfect, super special, supernatural people because they're in the Bible after all. And they're not like you, but you would be wrong. 
And we don't have time to go through all the examples and maybe you've seen this before or heard this before, but let me just give you a couple of examples of the people that were in the Bible that God loved and that God had relationship with and that God used in a great way. Noah was a drunk with a temper. Jacob was a con artist and a liar. David murdered the husband of his mistress who he got pregnant. Samson was a male gigolo. Peter was a potty mouth. Paul was a terrorist, for real, a terrorist. And we could keep going because the Bible is filled with people just like you and me with flaws and sin and hangups and baggage. And I understand why it feels like that we have to be good and, and why it feels like we have to get all of our junk together in order to be a Christian or in order to have a relationship with God, but it's not true. It's not true. Salvation is for the people who can admit that they need grace. Salvation is for the people who can admit that they need grace. God is not offended by your need for grace. Jesus died on the cross so that you could have it. And the only thing that keeps you from receiving grace is lying to yourself and to everyone else that somehow you don't need it. You need it. And it is freely available to you. You just have to admit that you need it. And we say all the time around here, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to lie about it. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to lie about it because God can never heal you as long as the real you stays hidden. God can never heal you as long as the real you stays hidden. So maybe it's time for a spring cleaning. Maybe it's time to just get all that junk out there and just go ahead and, and lose all the friends you were gonna lose anyway when they found out the truth and just go ahead and get it all out there so that God can heal and that God can do work and, and that God can, can save and change. Being bad doesn't keep you from a relationship with God. God is not intimidated, scared, mad, disappointed, angry. He doesn't give you car trouble or cancer because you said a curse word. I was playing golf the other day with uh, two guys. This is our first time playing together. And the same thing happens every time I meet somebody new on the golf course, like hole six or seven. It's like, so Jason, what do you do for a living? I'm like, oh, I'm a pastor and a pastor of a church. And like, oh, and they say something, you know, cursing or something. They're like, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm like, why are you apologizing to me? You know, and they're like, I, man, I've been cursing all day. I'm so sorry. I'm like, I'm not God. Don't worry about me. Like you say whatever you want to say, you know, like it's, it's not about me. And it's just a reminder again, that like we think that somehow God is, is, is up in heaven, like just with a switch, just waiting for us to mess up and we can't know him because we're bad. It's not true. Being bad does not keep you from a relationship with God. Number two, you ready? Number two, having doubts doesn't keep you from having a relationship with God. Right. Having doubts doesn't keep you from having a relationship with God. And this is a big one because I know so many of us in the room today struggle with doubt. We struggle with doubt. And there's this voice in your head that keeps telling you if you really loved God, you wouldn't have so many questions. But that's a lie. It's not true. I'm a pastor. I have all kinds of questions. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Like I got questions. How, what, was the world really made in seven days or was it made in like 7,000 years or seven years or 700? Or what about the dinosaurs? And how old is the earth? And 
And I got all kinds of questions. Why does Donald Trump have a chance to be president? Like, these are things I wonder. Like, God, help me out with this. Clarify this for me. I'm really struggling with my faith, God. Really, help me out with this, right? But questions just mean you care. Questions just mean that you're not okay with taking someone's word for it. Questions just mean that you're interested. You know, when you try to have a relationship with an invisible God, there's going to be some doubt. He's invisible. So yeah, there's going to be questions and doubts and and moments when in your mind, you wonder if this is all made up and you wonder if it's even real or you wonder, you're gonna have that. And God's not intimidated or threatened by that at all. Matter of fact, I get nervous when I get around people who have all the answers. It's okay. And if you're someone who struggles with doubt and you think that you have to have all of your questions answered before you have a relationship with Jesus, I wanna introduce you this morning to a guy named Thomas. He was such a doubter that he's known as Doubting Thomas, right? He was one of Jesus's 12 disciples and he struggled with doubt and I just personally think it's kind of encouraging that one of Jesus's disciples struggled with doubt. He walked around with Jesus. He saw Jesus feed 5,000, walk on water, put ears back on. I mean, heal people, raise people from the dead. I mean, he saw this, he witnessed it with his own eyes. And Thomas is like, I don't know, I don't know. It's even kind of more encouraging, I guess, that Jesus picked 12 disciples and one of them betrayed him. One of them disowned him. One of them is known as a doubter. It's just kind of a beautiful picture of what the church is and the body of Christ is. It's kind of a messy thing. But it doesn't keep you from relationship. John 20, verses 24 and 25 says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. So Jesus had already raised from the dead and he'd appeared to some of the disciples. They told him, we have seen the Lord. And if you're someone who struggles with doubt, it can feel like this in church sometimes in, in your relationship with God. You hear all these people saying, God's incredible. I heard God speak to me and I felt God's love and God's presence like I've never felt before. Like you're around people who are saying things like that and you're over here going like, not me. It makes you wonder, makes you question. But Thomas replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hands into the wound in his side. The disciples are saying, we saw him, he's alive. And Thomas is someone who had heard Jesus say, I will raise from the dead in three days. I'm gonna raise back up. And Thomas is like, I don't believe it. I just can't believe it. I gotta see it for myself. I gotta investigate it for myself. But Jesus is never threatened by our doubt. Skip down to verse 26. It says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. I think that's a beautiful picture that even when you are doubting, keep showing up. You never know when God's gonna show up. Don't quit. And the doors were locked. But suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound of my side. Don't be faithless any longer and believe. I love that even though there are, a, there's a group of people in the room, when Jesus shows up, he, he's a personal God who goes directly to individuals who need him to show up. 
There's gonna be four or 500 people here today through three services. And it doesn't matter how many people are here because if you need God to show up and speak to you personally, that's what he'll do. It's not just a group thing, he's a personal God. So he shows up in this room and he knows what Thomas said because he knows what we think and we pray and we feel and we hope. And he shows up in this group and he goes right to Thomas. Maybe you're here today and you're a doubter. I really believe, not that God's gonna answer all your questions today, but I believe if you will let him, I believe he'll speak to you today to show up in your life today. And he says, here, this is what you asked for. Thomas says, my Lord, my God. Then Jesus said to him, you believe because you have seen me, which is valid. But then look what Jesus said. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. That's us. We didn't get to see Jesus. We didn't get to walk around with him. Jesus said, Thomas, it's great that you believe because you actually got to touch my hands and you got to see me and that's awesome. But blessed are the people who believe in me and never see me. That's you and me. That we say, yes, I have questions. Yes, I have some doubts, but I believe. I have faith. I haven't figured it all out, but I got faith and I believe. You got questions, you got doubts, but that doesn't keep you from having a relationship with God. It doesn't bother God. So, so being bad and having doubts, number three, being angry doesn't keep you from having a relationship with God. Being angry doesn't keep you from having a relationship with God. Some of you don't feel like you can have a relationship with God because you're angry at him for something he did or didn't do. A tragedy, uh, uh, someone you prayed for didn't get healed. Maybe it was your parents getting divorced. Maybe it was you losing your career, your job, or maybe it was you losing your marriage. And you're angry about it. And you have questions. Maybe it's doubt and anger mixed together. You have questions like, how could God do this to me? And why would I want to serve a God who would do something like that? And, and listen, I, I can't answer your questions today. It's one of the great disappointments as a pastor. I get around people and they're like, hey, I got this question. And their question is why? And I'm like, I don't know. I can't, I wish I could help you, but I can't help you. I mean, if I can, I will, but I can't answer why God does the things that he does. I don't know about you, but when I have questions about why and somebody tries to answer them, I usually just wanna like punch them in the face. It's not the answer I wanna hear, you know? And, and so I can't tell you why, but I can promise you this. Life is not perfect with Jesus, but it's better. Life is not perfect with Jesus, but it's better. And if somebody told you that a relationship with God would solve all your problems, they were either lying or hadn't served him very long. Because yeah, life has trouble and, and, and problems and you're gonna have crisis of faith and there's gonna be a million things. Jesus doesn't make everything perfect, but he makes it better. And God has never been threatened by your anger or your disappointment, never. I would be willing to bet that if you have been disappointed in God, it's probably because you're emotionally invested. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. I, uh, a few years ago, I was asked to go to a hospital uh, for someone who did not attend our church, but some friends and family members of this person attended the church. This lady had been in the hospital for over a month. Things were getting worse. And the night before, while she had been in the hospital, unaware her son had been in a motorcycle accident and had been killed. And so they hadn't told her yet and they were going to tell her and they wanted me there in the room to, to pray or to give counsel or, you know, 
So I said, sure, I'll go. So I'm driving down the hospital. I'm just praying, God, what do you want me to say? You know, what do I say? How do, what do I, you know, I don't know what to do here, you know? So we get down there and there's a bunch of people in the room and, and they bring some nurses in to help because they know this is going to be very emotional. And so when the time comes, the, one of the family members says, hey, we need to tell you something. Last night, your son was in a motorcycle accident and he died. And, and she kind of was in shock and she began to get angry and she began to kick and scream and, and, and curse. And I, I don't know that I'd ever seen anything quite as violent from this woman that was honestly maybe 80 or 90 pounds at the time. They had to restrain her, hold her back. She's kicking and, and it, it, was, it, it was crazy. And then they said, our pastor is here. He would like to speak to you. I'm standing in the corner like, hey, my name's Jason. How are we doing today? You know, like it's not, I, what do I say? You know, I'm just praying, God help me. What do you say? I walk over to her bed and I said, hey, can I pray with you? She said, I don't want to pray. I hate God. I don't want anything to do with God. I don't even believe in God anymore. God, God can never do this. This is, I, get away from me. Get out of here. Get away from me. She's saying this to me, yelling at me, cursing at me. And, and, and I just kind of let her go and let her do her thing. And finally I said to her, I said, listen, I'll tell you something. In a few minutes or a few hours, at some point today, you're gonna be in this room by yourself. Everybody's gonna leave. Maybe tonight. You're gonna be laying here in this bed by yourself. And when that time comes, you're gonna wanna have a conversation with God. It's not gonna be pretty. You're gonna be thinking some things and you're gonna wanna curse him out. You're gonna wanna tell him you hate him. You're gonna wanna flip him off. You're gonna, you're gonna wanna say some of the most angry, vile, disgusting things to God. I said, what I want you to know is do it. Cuss him out if you wanna cuss him out. Flip him off if you wanna flip him off. Whatever you do, don't stop talking to him. Whatever you do, don't stop talking to him. Because God is not intimidated, angry, or threatened by you cursing at him or flipping him off or telling him that you hate him. So whatever you do, don't stop talking to him. And I would say the same thing to some of you. Your anger does not keep you from a relationship with God. And maybe you pulled away and you, you turned around and you went another direction because you thought, I could never serve a God like that. But you can work that out in relationship, in relationship. You can work your doubts out in relationship. You can, you can work your behavior out in relationship, in relationship. Only thing that keeps you from having a relationship with God. It's not being bad. It's not having doubts. It's not being angry. Can I tell you, the only thing that keeps you from having a relationship with God, because there's only one thing. The only thing that keeps you from having a relationship with God is choosing not to have one. That's it. If you want one, you can have it. So the only thing that keeps you is choosing not to have it. But God's never gonna twist your arm. He's never gonna make you do it or, or, or not give you a choice. Isaiah 30, 18 says, so the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. God's just waiting on you to come to him. And you don't even have to go the whole way. You just gotta take one step 
towards him. Easter is about relationship. The cross and the empty tomb is about relationship. 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21 says, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be our offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God is inviting you today to get to know him like Moses did, like a friend, like a friend. I was working on this message this week and I thought about so many of you. Think about Katie and Allie and George and Terry. I just, I think about all these, all these people that I've watched over the years who showed up maybe hesitant or showed up unsure of what was going on or what they wanted to happen. And God was just waiting on them so that he could show his love and his compassion. And he makes the same deal for you. If you want it, you can have it. On May 25th, 1979, Dennis Whitley was waiting to catch a flight from Chicago to Los Angeles for a speaking engagement. His previous flight was running a little late, so he hurried as fast as he could through O'Hare Airport, trying to get to gate K5 to make the flight. He did his best, but as he got there, maybe you've had this experience, if you traveled, they were closing the door. They closed the door to the jetway as he walked up and he said, wait, I have a ticket. I need to get on that plane. They said, I'm sorry, sir, we've already closed the door. He begged with him, he pleaded with him. He said, I'm, I have to get to a speaking engagement. They're counting on me to show up. I've gotta get there, but they would not budge. And so in his anger, he went back to the main ticket counter to file a complaint. The line was long, 20 minutes later, he's still standing where he started. The line hadn't moved and he was growing more and more angry when an announcement comes over the intercom that American Airlines Flight 191 from Chicago to Los Angeles had crashed upon takeoff. 258 passengers and 13 crew members died in that crash. It's the deadliest U.S. aviation accident in U.S. history. Whitley got out of line. He didn't register a complaint. In fact, he didn't return the ticket. He took it home. And he pinned it on the wall right above his desk in his office. And now almost 40 years later, he says that whenever life disappoints him or whenever he gets angry or frustrated about trivial things, he'll just look up from his desk and he'll see that plane ticket. And he'll remember that he's living a free life. He's living on grace. He's living on a gift. And God gives you the same opportunity today. Some of you are on a plane that is headed for a crash. First John 2, 16 and 17 says, for the world offers only a craving for spiritual pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. But these are not from the Father, are from this world. And this world is fading away. It is crashing along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Today, because of the cross, because of the grave, the empty tomb, if you want a relationship with God, if you want to get off that plane, if you want to avoid the crash, God says you can have a relationship, not more religion, not more lists of do's and don'ts, a relationship, a friendship, a mentorship, like he knew Moses face to face. Let's pray.